Open your Bibles to John chapter 10, and I'm going to start with this one verse, and we're talking about giving today, the power of giving. And I really dealt with all of that last week, the, the, you know, the, the importance of setting aside margin in your life to be able to give to the work of the Lord or give to missions and all of that. And so I really, I really pounded your heart last week about the power of giving. Today I'm going to talk about how to be prosperous according to the Bible, how to be prosperous according to the Bible. And uh, everyone's got their prosperity teaching and their books on it, so I'm just going to go to Scripture, okay? So this may be a little different than prosperity messages you've heard in the past, because I believe there is a biblical prosperity, and I want to talk about it today. So let's dig into it, and y'all give me some time, and immediately after this service, we're going to march out back, and we're going to baptize a, a group of people, praise the Lord. So I hope y'all can stay around and come. Just, we're just going to gather in, uh, under the stoop in between this building and the uh, family life. Well, the family life building and building whatever we call that. The old sanctuary building. And we're going to baptize some folks, and it's going to be great. Amen? Just instruction on baptism. When we baptize somebody, y'all just give a cheer. Give a shout. Amen? I just believe we should just rejoice and celebrate with those being baptized. The thief comes... He does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I think the NIV reads that they may have life to the full, to the full. I believe God wants us to live a prosperous life. I believe God wants us to live an abundant life, a life that is not... uh, just a loser existence of defeat and self-pity. I believe God wants His people to be overcomers and to be happy and to to live that type of life that other people will want to live and want, want what you have. Can you say amen? Last week I talked about the whys of giving. We give because it shows that we understand God owns everything, that God gives us everything, and we're giving a portion back to Him as we sow and we tithe or support missions or bless uh, those who are less fortunate. We just, that, that's, that's us showing that we understand God owns everything. And then the second reason we give is because it, it's a testimony of what God has done in our past. Remember that passage I read where he said, you're going to give and you're going to remember Israel, that God brought you out of the desert. He brought you out of Egypt. He brought you out of bondage. And when you give, it's to be in remembrance of what he did for you. And then the final reason we give is to break that attitude of fear and lack. That we don't have enough, God's going to run out of resources. If I don't hold on to everything, 100% of what I have, I'll never be able to make it. It really breaks that, that attitude of lack and injects faith into our lives. Amen? But today I want to talk about how to be prosperous biblically. I'm going to give you four things, four commands as to being prosperous biblically. But first, we need to set up up three prerequisites for biblical prosperity. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity of the world. Those guys can do what they want to. Their prosperity is going to run out when they die. And it, the Bible says the wealthy of this world that are ungodly, they're like the chaff. It's going to be blown away in the wind. They're not going to last, so don't worry about those folks. Okay? The psalmist David dealt with that a lot. Why do the wicked prosper? God's like, don't worry about them. 
I'm going to talk about biblical prosperity. So the first prerequisite is you have to surrender to the will of God in your life. You have to surrender your life to the Lord. You look at the men throughout the Bible who God prospered and women who He prospered greatly, they surrendered their lives to the Lord. You think about the life of Abraham. That guy was very wealthy, but he had surrendered his direction and his purposes to the Lord. He was in covenant with God, and, and he went according to God's leading. He had full surrender. The second thing is obedience. If you're going to be biblically prosperous, you need to be obedient to what God says do. If he says do it, we do it like the saints of old. They were obedient. Look how God prospered Abraham, but he told him, leave your country, leave your family, and go to the place that I'll show you. And he was obedient, and he did it. The Bible said he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He trusted not just in the arm of flesh, but he trusted in the Lord. And then finally, there's a persistence that has to happen as a saint of God. If you want to prosper in the things of the Lord, you want to prosper in business, you want to prosper in your walk with Christ, you want to prosper in your profession, I think there has to be a persistence. There has to be a stick to There has to be a I'm not going to give up when the going gets tough. Because the Bible is not filled with people who just look for the open door all the time, and if the door wasn't open, they just quit. But the Bible is filled with people that even when the door was closed, they kept knocking. And they kept pursuing. And they weren't discouraged or dissuaded by negative circumstances, by people, by criticism, by failure. They brought it back. Look at Peter's life. I mean, no one failed as colossally as Peter when he denied the Lord right at the, that night of his betrayal and crucifixion. But yet he comes back so strong, he becomes really the leading apostle at the day of Pentecost. He's the one who stands up and begins preaching the gospel and 3,000 are saved. He becomes the lead, and he was the biggest failure. So people of God commit their lives to the Lord, obey his word, and persist and push through the difficult circumstances. Can you shout amen? amen. I'm going to tell you something you won't hear in most prosperity sermons. And that is there's a strong, there are strong warnings in Scripture to the wealthy. There are strong warnings. Throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament to the wealthy, Jesus said in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And in this passage, mammon is really talking about money. You can't have money as your master and God as your master also. Something's got to give. It doesn't mean we can't have money. We can't have possessions. It's just they shouldn't have us. I think the biblical picture of a prosperous person is someone that God entrusts with certain talents, gifts, abilities, possessions, and then that person is fully sold out to God and will do with that that God gives him whatever God says to do with it. Can you shout amen? The Bible says in Luke chapter 18, Jesus uh, Jesus said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And I was re- reading a great New Testament scholar last night on this passage, and he said, you know, we've really misinterpreted this because we've said the, 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 there's a gate called the eye of the needle in the temple area of Jerusalem, 
and, and it means that a camel has to get down on its knees to go through it. He said, actually, what the Bible's talking about was in ancient times, needles had little holes to thread just like we have today. And the camel was the largest animal in the ancient Near East. And so the largest animal is not going to fit through the eye of a needle. It's the same interpretation we would have as if we read it today. In other words, it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility for a rich person to go to heaven. So then the apostle said, but who can be saved? Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Even though it's an impossibility, God can make it possible. Can you shout amen? But there's strong warnings, even in the book of James. James comes in chapter 5, and he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And what he's pointing out here is probably uh, uh, an unfair trade thing going on or an unfair worker situation. That the wealthy were often landowners and they were working tenant farmers or they would even work slave labor. And especially when it came to the slave or day laborers, they wouldn't pay them sometimes equitably or sometimes they just had to go day to day on sustenance and wait to survive. And if you read in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, God says if you're being mistreated like that, and you're not being paid or you're not being paid accurately or equitably, he said, then cry out to God and God would avenge you. God cared about the poor and needy in Scripture. And He cared about justice in Scripture. I encourage you to go back and listen to Wednesday night teaching that I did this week on the three types of financial people we meet in the book of Proverbs. First is the thieves or sluggards. Second's the poor and needy and all that God says about the poor and needy. And then finally is the diligent person. And that's what God is trying to get us to be is diligent people. Can somebody shout amen? So how to have prosperity. Number one, here comes the first command. I'm going to say it in church. I'm going to say a four-letter word in church. Forgive me. Work. That's the Bible's first command to having biblical prosperity. But Pastor Hans, I thought you were going to preach I could sow a $100 seed and I would go home and there would be $1,000 in my mailbox. God can do that. God can do, I've seen Him do financial miracles. God can do that. But that's not the norm. I'm talking the normal way to get prosperous is to get a job and to work that job and to be diligent at that job. Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. God gave Adam a job before he fell into sin. We often think that the fall, we only have work because of the fall, because of the curse of the ground. But I think the ground was cursed. So man was going to have to work the ground and till it and plow it, harvest it, and all that we've been doing ever since then because of the fall. That's just the way we have to get food. Before, everything was provided in the garden. They'd just walk around and pick off the trees. But it didn't mean they weren't intended to work. God said, tend and keep the garden. Then he told Adam, name all the animals. Then once Eve came along, he said, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the earth. That doesn't sound like they're laying around doing nothing. There was work to do that God gave the man and woman authority in the earth realm. 
God commanded us to work. Exodus chapter 34. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Six days, you. let me put it this way. Six days you shall work. On the seventh day you shall rest. In the New Testament, you're thinking, well, you're just preaching Old Testament, Pastor Hans. No. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone is not willing to work, then he should not eat. Now, I know there are special circumstances. People have disability or people retire. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking just normal circumstances here, all right? The first key to prosperity is to work. God gives us certain abilities and talents. Every skillful person, Exodus 36, in whom the Lord has put a skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work, put them to work. God has given each of us a unique mix of spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities, and a history and experience in work. So when we come at it, we come at it with a uniqueness. Some of you are really gifted to lead, gifted to manage. Others of you are gifted artisans. You're gifted craftsmen. Others of you can speak and you can teach and Others of you can do a various multitude of things. We need it all. The way God designed the earth, we needed it all. So all of us could make up this great and grand tapestry of humanity that God has placed in the world. God is also the one in work who gives us success. If you're a Christian and you believe in the Lord, you need to believe that your success doesn't come from the world. Your success comes from God. The Bible said in Genesis 39 that the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Who gave Joseph success? The Lord himself. The Lord promoted Joseph. When man mistreated him, his family mistreated him, God promoted him. When he was lied about by Potiphar's wife, God promoted him. When he was forgotten about in the prison, God promoted him at each point. Turn. Look at the life of Daniel. Daniel is an example of how to work in a secular environment and not compromise your values. Daniel worked and he, still, and he became the top in the kingdom of the king because he was such an excellent person. But he wouldn't drink the king's drink or eat the king's food. He stayed according to Jewish law. He wouldn't shut up and stop praying when they told him to. You know, God has given us laws in the land and I think as Christians we should obey the law. I think the Bible even teaches us that. However, there are certain times and certain points when the law contradicts with God's law. And when that happens, we have to choose God's law above the laws of any country. Just a lesson in Christian ethics there. God controls promotion. Bible says in Psalm 75, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. God is the one who promotes, and God is the one who sets you up and opens doors for you. Now, yes, you should treat your boss correctly or your co-workers correctly or your employees correctly, but if we're Christians, we believe that the ultimate say is given to the Lord, that the Lord can open a door for you if, if He sees fit to open that door for you, and when you get a raise, you get a promotion, you get a greater job or something, who should you think? Be thanking God for it because He can turn the hearts of men, He can turn the minds of people overnight in your favor. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. So what Proverbs encourages us to do then is to be diligent at work. Notice the Bible, Proverbs 21.5. For the plans of the diligent leads to plenty, 
but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. I think what he's saying there is there's a contrast. The way to work is to go at it day by day, work hard, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and God will bless you. Instead of the person who says, no, I'm going to make a million next month. That's the hasty person. Now, God may give you a million next month. Just be sure to tithe on it and we'll pray for you. But any, anywho, the normal way is to work at it diligently and just keep after it, keep after it, and keep after it. Can somebody shout hallelujah? The Bible says in Proverbs 10.4, He who has a slack hand, who's not diligent, becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. And somebody shout amen. Say it with me, the four-letter word. Work. Second thing you're to do to be prosperous biblically is to invest. You're to invest. There's a story in the Bible that we call the parable of the talents. Jesus told the parable. He said there was a you know, wealthy landowner who was going away on a trip, so he brought together three of his servants, and he gave them different amounts of money to deal with while he was gone. And he said, now, now occupy till I'm gone. Get busy with this stuff. So to one guy, he gave a whole lot. To another guy, he gave a little less. And to one guy, he just gave one little talent. So what happened? When they went away, when the, the master went away, the guy who had a whole lot really worked that man. And he had a lot to show for it when the master came back. The guy who had a little less, he worked it as well. And he did pretty well. But the guy who had only one talent was so fearful that he just went in the backyard and dug a hole and buried it. And he didn't work it at all. And when the master came back, this, this blew my mind and it offended my sense of, of equity. And when I looked at it, the master commended the person who had gained the most and rebuked the person who hadn't worked what he gave them. And then what really offended me is he said, now take what he has and give it to the guy who has the most. And I thought, what in the world, Lord? That doesn't seem fair. But I think in the kingdom, more comes to those who know what to do with it. Those who know what to do with it. God gives more. It's just the way it works. And when you start investing, you begin in the small things. You begin in the small things. I know a guy who became a multimillionaire through investing in stocks, and he said his first investment was $20, and he about didn't sleep the first night. He was so afraid of the $20 that he had invested. The Bible talks about the unjust steward. And Jesus says in Luke 16, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? So really it's a litmus test of your character, how you handle and increase what God has given you. And when I'm talking about investing biblically, I'm not just talking about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds in Wall Street. Investing can be in many different things. You can invest in savings and save up. You can invest in your business or your career. You can invest in your education. You can invest in your children's education. You can invest in retirement. 
There's many different ways to invest, but I think God wants us to work it and work it and more will come. Why should you invest? Unlike the world, we're not just trying to get a huge store of cash and sit on it. Because that's not biblical either. Just to have incredible wealth and do nothing with it. Money flows in the kingdom and it should not be stagnant. If it's stagnant, it stinks. I used to ride motorcycles in the mountains and sometimes we'd be on these old coal mining strip jobs and we would run through a a mud puddle and sometimes it had been sitting there for weeks or months and if you hit that thing, it was like... But then when we found a fresh stream in the mountains... Uh, this is, we would stop and drink from it. We'd make sure not to contaminate it, just stop and drink, because that was, yeah, that's the difference. That's the way God wants money to flow, I think, is a constant stream. So in the kingdom, why do we invest then? I really think there's three reasons. First of all, we can invest so we can be better off to be able to sow into the work of the Lord. Because if you have some margin in your life, You have some savings in your life. You have enough to pay your bills and then you've budgeted yourself some excess beyond that. Then when we have a missionary who has a special need, you can give something to it. Or we have a special need in the church, you can give something to it. Or you have someone who's needy and you want to help them out, you can give to it because you've been responsible in investing that money and holding some back and working it. Second reason why I think we should invest is for your family. The Bible says you should take care of your family. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So a good man or a righteous man is one who thinks about how can I help my kids and how can I help my grandkids and how can I take care of the needs of my family. Now, come on, Pastor. I thought we were going to sow a seed today and all my financial trouble is going to be over. I'm into sowing seed. It's not the norm, though. The norm is work and invest for the right reasons. And finally, you invest, you should invest for the future needs of your life and your family. You're going to have an AC breakdown. You might have a roof that needs repair. You might want to buy a new car. You might want to invest in retirement. So you don't have to work till you're 97. You might want to do some of these things and put aside that's to take care of your family, which is biblical. Proverbs says in Proverbs 6, 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. What does the ant do? The ant starts scrounging and starts saving up everything they can to keep that colony going. If you don't believe it, Leave some sugar on your counter in the summer in your kitchen, a candy bar or a, and go away on a trip and come back and see what's happened. I got get so angry. I'm like, these things are like, they're going to survive a nuclear holocaust, man. You can't get rid of them. And so, and and you kill, you can take raid and spray and kill a hundred. Don't bother them. They're still coming. I think it makes them go back and give an alarm. Make more ants. Double our forces. And then they come back. That's why to kill the ants, you got to get to the, the queen and kill the root of them out. They don't stop. They don't stop. They start a train, man. They start work, 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 work. 
they're working it. And God is saying we should be like that. We should think, okay, what can we do? How can we store this up? How can we save this? How can we invest this? How can we be prosperous? Because if you, well, if somebody makes an argument and says, yeah, but if you have a lot, you should just give it all away. That's not what the Bible says do, though. If, I, believe the Bible, I believe the Bible concept is this. You give what the Lord has asked of you. And then the rest you invest and you save and then you get yourself strong. And then when you're strong, you can help others who are in need or you can help your family who is in need instead of blowing it all and giving it all away. Preach on. I'm going to sit on the front row and shout myself down. Amen? This isn't like revival preaching, but this is going to grow us up. Can somebody say amen? Say it with me. Work. Invest, and you may not think this relates to prosperity, but I'm telling you, I got Bible for it. Live a holy life. You got to live a holy life. It's directly, it directly correlates to biblical prosperity and wealth. What are you talking about, Hans? In the book of Kings, in chapter 2, when David was turning his kingdom over to Solomon, he said these words to him. He said, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in His ways, keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimony as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. But what was that predicated upon? You keep the statutes of the Lord. You keep His commandments. You obey His laws. And then God's going to prosper you. Think about Joshua. When God came to him when Moses had died, he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, meditate in my law. Meditate in my law day and night and I will cause you to have good success and I will prosper you. And he tells him over and over and over in that first chapter of Joshua that he will bless him and that he will prosper him. Notice, I'm going to turn, turn with me to the book of 1 uh, Kings. I want to read something that's really, really neat. It's a dream then that Solomon has once his dad turns the kingdom over to him. 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 5, at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, Lord, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father. And because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you, you have continued this great kindness for him. And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child, and I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart. That's what he wanted. Give me an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord. And that Solomon had asked this thing, and God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for a long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone like you afterwards. I have also given you what you have asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways 
and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God gave him a direct promise of prosperity after he had come before him humbly with the right heart and said, God, I want to do right. I want wisdom, Lord. Give me this. And God directly gave it back to him in wealth and what he asked for. Can somebody shout amen? So in missions work, in missiology, there's a term called redemption and lift. Donald McGavern, a famous missiologist years ago, had studied foreign mission works to see why some succeeded and some failed. And he wrote a book called Understanding Church Growth that was a watershed book on research of why certain mission works grow and some don't. And then it started the whole church growth movement in America. But in that book, he, he found out something. He said, when a foreign people, a people group, receive the gospel, something happens to their well-being. It increases. It gets better. There's a lift for all of that society. There's a modern sociologist named Rodney Stark who, who wrote a book called America's Blessings, and here's what he found. He said, a person who's been renewed by the gospel, born again, increasingly acts in a self-controlled and selfless manner rather than in a self-serving one, and this produces positive change in their material circumstances. They engage in less criminal behavior and more pro-social behavior. They experience more marital happiness and lower divorce rates while producing more and better well-behaved children. Come on, somebody. They experience better mental health and probably better physical health also. They give more generously in terms of money and time. They are generally better educated and more successful and less credulous. That's what the researchers say happens when the gospel comes to a society. You stop being selfish because holiness of life directly influence the, your well-being and prosperity. Somebody shout amen. amen. Somebody say live holy. live holy. Work, invest, live holy. And then finally, I think you have to honor God. If you're going to prosper biblically, you have to honor the Lord with your wealth, with your finances, with your gifts, with your talents. Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. If you honor the Lord, God will bless you if you do that. Think of the people who honored the Lord. I referenced Joshua, but we got to think about Joshua's resume. Joshua didn't worship the golden calf with the rest of Israel. He was on the mountain with Moses. Joshua served Moses, the man of God, his entire life. Joshua fought many battles for the Lord under Moses' direction. Joshua was only one of two guys who went to spy out the promised land who came back with a faith report saying, we can do this. He also is the one who took Jericho, then failed at Ai, did a research project as to why we failed, found out that a man named Achan and his family had held back idols. He called them out and had the nation of Israel stone them and get rid of them. He didn't play around. He really was honoring God and God's commands in everything he did. Think about Obed-Edom, 
in 2 Samuel chapter 6 who actually kept the ark on his property for a time being until David came and got it and took it to Zion. While that ark was on his property, the Bible said God blessed him. I think it's a picture of you and I today. The ark is the presence of God is no longer in an ark in Jerusalem. The presence of God is sitting right in each one of you in this building today. And if we house the presence of God and honor the presence of God, I think there's a, there's a blessing that resides on us as we live and breathe. And when you walk in Walmart, people don't realize who just walked in Walmart. Come on, somebody. When you're buying toothpaste at Food Line, they don't realize who's standing there, but it's now the manifest presence of God housed in you. The Shekinah glory of God is now housed in you. And there's a blessing on your life because of that. Think about the Shunammite woman in the ministry of Elisha. The Shunammite woman honored God and she built out a room on her house for the man of God. And when he would come by, he would stay there. So one day he said, we got to do something good for this lady. Ask her what she wants. She had never had a child. She had been barren. So Elisha prays and God gives her a son. Later on, that that son dies. He dies working in the field one day. Elisha comes and lays on top of him and resurrects him from the dead. And that's because she honored the presence of God. And then later on, she lost all of her property. She came back to her home and went before a judge. And the judge gave her back everything she originally owned because she honored the presence of the Lord. If you honor God with what you have, I'm telling you, you can't help but be blessed in some measure. God's going to return it back to you in some measure. I tell you what, I want to put my portion with the people of faith. And I want to live my life with the people of faith. Let me preach at you just for a few moments. Biblical prosperity isn't just in wealth. When God gives us wealth, we have a great responsibility to use it correctly. But I'm telling you, I'm thinking biblical prosperity digs a little bit deeper. Let's just compare two people. What about the man who owns a liquor distillery? And it's polluting minds and bodies with liquor, which is a poison. And I hate it with every fiber of my being. And then that guy has a tragedy in his life. Or what about you? And you may just be a common worker, but you've been dedicating your life to the Lord for several years. You've been praying. You've been giving your tithes and offerings. You've been seeking God, and then a tragedy happens to you. I'm going to tell you, I'd rather be in your shoes than in his shoes. Because if you're biblically prosperous, when you knock on heaven's gates and you make your prayers and petitions known, God hears in heaven. Come on, somebody. We've come out of the world and we become a separated people. And I want to be known in hell. I want hell to know my name. That when I show up, they say, oh my God, Hans has come. We're in trouble. And I want to be known in heaven that when I pray and when God sees me walking into a new situation or like yesterday morning I'm preaching to a village in Pakistan and I'm seeing souls get saved and bodies be healed. I would rather move in the anointing of God as have all the gold in Texas. I want to know, I want to be known in heaven. Come on. That's what I'm talking about being biblically prosperous. 
when you can live a righteous life, when God knows your name, hallelujah, when the devil fears when you wake up in the morning, when you can lay hands on the sick and they recover, when you can cast out demons with the name of Jesus. Come on. That's what I'm talking about, being biblically prosperous. When you can come in church and lift your hands and sing and feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost flowing on you. That's what I'm talking about, being prosperous. If God gives you money, hallelujah, that's icing on the cake. The real prosperity is knowing Him. You can live in a shack or you can live in a mansion. If you have the Holy Ghost in you, you're a wealthy man or you're a wealthy woman. You can drive a Pinto or you can drive a Mercedes. If you have a born-again experience, then you're a wealthy man or you're a wealthy woman. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout of praise. Oh, come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Let me read a passage of Scripture and we're going to pray. Hebrews chapter 11, I thought about this. And I know it's not talking about wealth, but I thought about it. As Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews was, as he goes down the, the hall of faith and all of the great heroes of our faith, he comes to verse 30 and he says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fires and escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong and became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourgings, yes, and all the chains of imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and were tempted and were slain with the sword. And they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. We ooh and all over Hollywood or of the Kardashians. But I'm ooing and on over the people that this world was not worthy of. Some who gave their life, they were the wealthy ones to me. Come on, somebody. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. They didn't receive what you and I have, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He's saying, listen, what you and I have received, they long to receive. You and I are living in the greatest day of, the, of history, I believe, why? Because God is opening up the nations like never before. We have more ability and more technology than ever before to preach the gospel. We have the new covenant. We have Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who's been resurrected from the dead. And you and I have an open opportunity to serve Him. We have the gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. We've tasted a little bit of what it's going to feel like on the other side when we move and flow in the power of God. Come on, 
somebody. We're wealthy people in here today. Come on, if you have faith, you're a wealthy person. If you've been saved, you're a wealthy person. If you've been sanctified and set apart from the world, you're a wealthy person. If you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking another language from heaven, you're a wealthy person. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. If you have brothers and sisters who love you, you're a wealthy person. You're in this church right now, a church on fire. Hallelujah. You're a wealthy person. Come on, somebody, just give him a prayer. I know that some of you are struggling. I've struggled. I can't. I'm, I'm not. I won't even go into all the financial struggles I've had. And me and my wife pastoring for 25, 26 years and being evangelists before that. But God bless us so much. It just blows away. It's not. It doesn't compare with what I've been through. The blessings I've received, I feel spoiled. And I think about it, and I know some of you are having a rough time, and I'm not diminishing that. But if you compare all of us in this room to the world. We're really considered wealthy people. I've been in Asia. I've preached in Asia. I've preached in the Middle East. I've preached in Europe. I've preached in East Europe. I've preached in the Caribbean islands. I've preached in South America. I've preached in Latin America. I've preached in Canada. And I've preached all over the United States a lot. And, and here's one thing I've noticed, that, that you and I live on more than $3 a year. And we don't live it pretty much in a thatched shack I preached to a village one time that had no electricity they had no electricity they had no they, they were a, a remote Indian tribe stuck up in the uh, jungles of South America and I got there and I sang a song and played an old wretched guitar and they were poking their heads through the walls and looking through the windows and I thought, my God, these people have never, they, they, they had no exposure. And it was such a powerful service. And after I sang, one guy said, man, you sound like Kenny Rogers, man. <laughs> How'd you get Kenny Rogers up here? <laughs> Sorry. You and I are blessed, though. I mean, most of you are going to go home to an apartment or to a condo or to a home and most of you are going to drive a car there. <laughs> Most of you have jobs and we're blessed. We're blessed to be living in America. We're blessed to have brothers and sisters. And if you are having a hard time, there's a lot of great people in this church that will help you out. I'm telling you. And we've helped people out and don't even talk about a lot of what we do locally and stuff. And, oh, and even overseas. Hallelujah. So how many can just raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord, and I'm blessed. I thank you, Father. And now I felt to pray this this morning, and I want everybody to raise your hands. I, I feel to pray and break off spirit of poverty. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just felt to pray that. And if some of you feel like you just can't, it just, it, it just can't break through. It never comes that way. Right now, Lord, I bind the spirit of poverty. 
over the individuals and families of this church. We strip you of all authority right now in the name of Jesus. You loose your hold now and release your hold from these people. We command you go into the abyss and never return. Lord, I pray freedom right now over everyone in here that, God, there just comes a revelation by the Spirit of the Lord. There just comes a revelation of, of what they need to do to prosper, of what they need to do. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a new investment. Maybe it's save this much. Maybe it's sell something. I don't know. God, you just give them the revelation now. You can do it, Father. God, for those who are blessed and really financially blessed, I just thank you, God. I pray more, and I pray they become great stewards, good stewards of your finances, God. And I give you praise right now in the name of Jesus. Maybe some of y'all need to lay hands on your billfold or purse right now. I have an uncle through marriage who did that, and he said, Hans, I put my billfold on the altar, and after that, my finances turned around. <laughs> or his checkbook, I think. But in, I, I'm serious, man. Dedicate it to the Lord. Say, Lord, it's yours. Everything you give me is yours. And now help me to manage it. If you need help managing it, come see us. I got some guys on staff, and there's some lay people in here who are really great at investing and banking and Dave Ramsey's programs, and we, we'll help you. Just tell them I said so. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online. And I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment. He was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen. You're hearing the message today, eternity is real, and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours. Okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven. I, I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back, get in, get in the Word, get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.